to Matthew 20. Matthew 20. As I was reading this text this week, I was reminded of a great bit of wisdom in my high school yearbook. We can always be heroes. Not everyone can be a hero. Some of us have to stand in the parade and clap as they go by. Now there is a profound truth in that. And in what we're doing, there is one hero. And our efforts are to point our eyes toward Him. I ask you, if you are able, to stand as we read Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making requests of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But he answered, You do not know what you are asking. And they said, He said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, that is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it's been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall become your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for me. Thank you. Have you noticed how frequently Jesus deals with this problem? In Matthew 18, the disciples come to him and ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he takes a child and sets him before them and uses the child as an example and said, whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. This is common in Jesus' teaching. And Jesus has consistently warned and will consistently warn 
against doing what we do to be seen of men. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 8, He told us not to sound a trumpet before we give, but to not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. And when we pray, we don't pray simply to have the adoration of the crowds. But we go into our closet that our Father who sees in secret may reward us. Or whether we fast, we don't do it in a way to call attention to ourselves. But we're focusing our attention on Him. And Jesus will later rebuke the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verses 5-12, through 12, and says they do all their works to be seen by men. In the Old Testament, God talked about wearing phylacteries and putting hymns on the garment. Those things were done to remind people of the commandments of God. But some made their phylacteries bigger and the hymns on their garment particularly stand out so that others would see them. He said, God, Anything done in the kingdom to call attention to ourselves rather than the king is misguided and a disaster. We are seeking to honor Him and praise Him and not seeking to promote ourselves. Seeing how frequently Jesus touches on this subject. Seeing how frequently it's touched on in the New Testament. With Diotrephes in 3 John verses 9 and 10. Who loved to have the preeminence. And just observing a little bit about human life. Tells me that every one of us. Every one of us need this lesson. Every one of us need to be reminded that He is central and that we are servants. Now as we look throughout the text, I want you to be thinking about the questions that are on this projector. What does it tell us about Jesus and who He is? What does it tell us about what he's come to do? And and particularly notice how it focuses attention on the cross. The cross is all through this. And it also tells us who we are as disciples of the Lord. All of these things are central to the text. Now this text has a parallel in Mark 10 and we're going to incorporate some things from Mark 10 as we we tell that story. But I want you to remember to the context. The context is that Jesus has just stated about his crucifixion and resurrection. In Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19, a passage that we looked at together a couple of weeks ago. He's just stated this truth. Luke tells us at the end of that, the disciples didn't understand that. 
Luke tells us that. Matthew doesn't. But Matthew and Mark, we see that the disciples don't understand by their questions that they ask. If someone is about to be hanged on the gallows, we don't ask to be on their right hand and on their left. The Bible tells us in Matthew 20, verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request. Mark 10.35 doesn't mention James and John's mother. This text does. But they're all in this together. The question is introduced in Mark's account. Teacher, we want to do for you whatever we ask. As you keep those questions in the forefront of your mind, is there something wrong with that question? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Do we always approach God as if He's the servant and we're the master? We will see in this passage that he serves above and beyond anything that can be imagined. But do we view ourselves as the masters in this relationship? And because God doesn't do this and God didn't answer that, we act as if he is accountable to us and not we who are accountable to him and that's something that's wrong from the very start of this question but 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 teacher we want you to do for us whatever you ask he says what would you want me to do for you and they said we want to be on your right and in your left at your kingdom mark's account says on your right and at your left in your glory And Jesus said, you do not know what you ask. And I wonder how many times that we would be told that. We don't know what we're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Mark's account includes the question, are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Are you able to drink my cup? Are you able to be baptized with my baptism? And they said, we are able. And he said to them, you shall drink my cup, but to sit on my right and my left, that is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now, one of the things that I want you to see throughout this section is we are constantly reminded of the cross. We're constantly reminded of the cross. When Jesus said, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Our minds should go to Matthew 26 and verse 39 where Jesus was praying fervently. He was falling on his face and said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. 
So this language of the cup is intimately connected to the cross. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Jesus is constantly pointing them to the cross. He says, are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized in Mark 10? Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 50, I have a baptism with which I'm to be baptized and how I'm straightened, how I'm pained until it is accomplished. And Jesus is going to be immersed in pain and torture in the cross. And he wishes the ordeal were already over. He tells, ask his disciples, are you able to drink my cup and to be baptized with my baptism? And their naive answer, they say we are When the moment of Jesus' arrest comes, they were all forsaken and flee. But they said, we are able. But Jesus said, you will drink my cup. You will be baptized with my baptism. These men who fled when Jesus arrested, they came back together. They saw his resurrection. They were transformed by the experience. And in the days of Herod Agrippa I, who ruled from 37 to 44 AD, sometime in that time, he beheads James, the brother of John, in Acts 12, verse 2. In Acts 4, Peter and John were cast into prison. In Acts 5, once again, they were cast into prison. When he writes Revelation, he is in exile on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation 1-9. What you see in these passages, there was some degree in which the brothers drank that cup and tasted of that baptism. But he said, you will drink of my cup. But to sit at my right and my left, it is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Turn to Matthew 27, as you would, if you would. Matthew 27. And I want us to see another time in Matthew's gospel that he mentions the right and the left hands of Jesus. In Matthew 27, in verse 38, at that time two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right and one on the left. And if we're asking for positions of prominence and importance, when we're wanting everybody's attention and everybody to look at us, We are forgetting the cross.
Sometimes it's easy for us to forget that. In the midst of our land where we still have religious freedom, and some become well-known simply because of their faith in Jesus, It's hard to remember. And at times, there may be even questions. Why wasn't I allowed to teach? Why wasn't I allowed to preach? Why wasn't I allowed to speak at this lecture show? You know, I don't think people in Saudi Arabia are asking. But sometimes we do. But Jesus is constantly through all the little things and calling attention to the cross. Well, when the other disciples hear what James and John have done, they are outraged. They're not outraged. Because how dare they think in those kind of terms? How dare they promote themselves before men? They are outraged because they have asked, James and John have asked what they want for themselves. I take that from the fact that Jesus calls the group together and addresses this statement to them. Jesus says... You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Things among God's people aren't the way they are in the world. You know the rulers of the Gentiles. That statement, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them is parallel to that statement. Their great men exercise authority over them. And the statements in verse 26 and 27 are parallel. Whoever wishes to, be, to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. The word for servant in verse, 30, uh, verse 26, whoever wishes to be great among you shall become your servant, is the word that elsewhere is translated deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in Titus, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and in other class, place, places. Translated deacon. The verb form of that word Deacon is used in verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If you want to be great among God's people, then it is by becoming a servant. And if you want to be first, in verse 27, the way to do that is becoming a slave. Now the word slave, this refers to... In English and Greek, this is profound, it refers to a slave. It refers to someone who is always under someone else. It was the lowest level of society. And in Jesus' inverted system of the first will be last, and the last will be first, whoever wishes to be first 
shall be your slave. And I don't get the idea that the servant and the slave are making sure everyone is seeing it when they're serving. And Jesus is no exception to this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Before the passage was mentioned, I believe Bob mentioned it earlier, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, like Matthew 20, and like Luke 9, 23, which Bob mentioned, was Tony saying about, take up your cross and follow me. All of those passages appeal to the cross as a picture of how we live our lives. We are people that are in the kingdom because of what he has done. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He serves as the illustration for how we live and how we behave ourselves. And again, he constantly calls attention to the cross. I want to say what I'm about to say. Carefully. And I want you to think about it. I'm not trying to say there's not a place for biblical lessons on leadership. There is. And it's a biblical subject. But we're never prepared to lead unless we follow. We're never prepared to lead unless we first learn to be disciples. And in the midst a few years ago, so many churches studying the subject of leadership. Someone asked me the question, which does the Bible say most about? Being leaders or being disciples? It says most about being disciples. And we're not qualified to lead. Until we first become his disciple. Now I stated earlier that I believe this is a problem in some way or another. Not for me, maybe the same way it is for you, but this is a problem for all of us. I can remember reading something a brother said several years ago. He said, I have attended a meeting 
I went to the back and I was talking to the preacher who was a friend of mine. And he said, I heard someone come up and offer him compliments and praise for the lesson. And he says, I can remember my heart burning with envy and jealousy. But he put in parenthesis, may God forgive me. May God forgive me. There's some things that you're not going to find without seeking. Some things you're not going to find without a diligent search. One of those is God himself. Whoever comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Some translations have diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. There are things you're not going to find unless you're seeking him. But there are also things that I think you're only going to find if you're not seeking him. Let me illustrate just in passing. I don't think we're ever going to find happiness if you make that your pursuit. If you make that your goal. And you might read Ecclesiastes if you question that. Because if you make that your end goal, you're sure to miss it. There's some things that you're never going to find by seeking them. And I would suggest that another thing like that is greatness among God's people. Greatness among God's people is never going to be achieved by seeking it. It is only as we are giving ourselves fully to God in His service and then after we give ourselves to Him, we give ourselves to others, only as we do that will we learn about true greatness. But you're not going to get it if your goal is greatness. And I was in a preacher's study about 15 years ago. And Bill Hall was giving that kind of warning. And he says, when I went to Lipscomb in the late 50s, in the early 60s, he said, I had a roommate. And he said, one night, he told me, he says, I'll tell you what I want. I want everybody to see my name. He said, I want to preach and I want people to know who I am. And he says, I want people to, to flock when I come to a particular town because they all know me and they've all heard of me. He said, that's what I want. That's my oh. And then he paused and he says, I'm not making this up. He says, I know this sounds like too much of a preacher's story to be real. But he says, I roomed with him and I cannot remember his name. (laughs) 
still a name we've got to mention will be a name that will not be known in all probability to some of you who are younger. But it is a name that is known to many of us who are older. Homer Haley lived from 1903 till the year 2000. He was known as a teacher at college in Abilene and Temple Terrace, and also as a preacher throughout the country. Homer Haley wasn't a perfect man. And not only was he not a perfect man, I don't agree with everything he said, but, but I will tell you what is compelling and commendable about his story. What is compelling about his story is he never wanted to be anybody. His family moved time after time in his early years because his father had a serious drinking problem. And his father died. He didn't have much guidance, but a lady that he worked for kept pressing him to come to services with her. He had a grandmother that he didn't know too well who was a member of the Lord's Church. Eventually he started going with her. He was preaching, or excuse me, he was attending this group in a couple of years he made the decision to be baptized. And as he continued to attend this little church in Arizona, which was largely made up of women, they asked him, would you preach for us? Ed Harrell, who did his biography, told me that he was able to talk to some of those who first heard him preach. And he said, when, when he first preached, everybody acknowledged, including Homer Haley, that his preachers, his sermons were pretty bad. Sermons were pretty bad. And he acknowledged he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what he should be doing. He didn't have much family guidance, didn't have a whole lot of instruction. So he just decided he was going to quote scripture. And he was going to quote the scripture. He said, you can't go wrong if you quote the scripture. And he developed that ability throughout his whole life. He could quote entire books of the Bible. Phil Roberts used to tell the story. I don't know if it's true or if it's an apocrypha story. That, that, that one time he was in an Isaiah class and, and he, he was looking down at the text. And one of the students said, Brother Haley, you got your Bible upside down. And he looked there. Oh, yes, he is. He turned it up. But he kept right on quoting because he was quoting the Scripture.
for someone when they were trying to encourage him to move to Florida to teach told him that their plan was for him to be the president he said I want you to know that that is not my goal and I want you to know that that serves as a deterrent to me moving not a, not a reason he wasn't trying to be in that position and he wasn't trying to simply make money. He acknowledged in his whole life he lost money on every investment that he ever made. What was his life about? I think Brother Harold summed it up well. In the last couple of paragraphs of his book, from the time he was retired, around 1980, when he would have been nearly 80 years old, he started preaching for a little church in Arizona where he had to drive 30 miles every Sunday. In a few years, he had to have others driving. And he would speak at this little congregation of 10 people. Harold says it this way. The singing oracle on Sunday morning was almost surreal. In front of 10 students, stood a gnarled master craftsman. A man who had been many places and influenced countless lives. Was it possible and was it fitting that his story would end in Oracle? That was all right. That was all right with Homer Haley. He had lived his life full circle and he had come back home. He began preaching to a little group of women in Wilcox. He traveled far, he learned much, he received honors and won the respect of thousands. But all he ever intended to do was to preach the gospel. He taught and preached in that church till he was well into his 90s. In the last couple of years of his life, when he wasn't able to do both, he kept teaching the Bible. Again, that's not to say everything he said he did was perfect. But it is to say the reason we know his name, or many of us, is because he attained a level of greatness I never 
seeking to be anything but a servant of God. May God help us all to imitate that. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, you are worthy of worship and praise. Lord, we are the servants and you are the master. Forgive us for times when we've reversed that relationship. Forgive us. Help us to remember the cross. Help us to remember what you've done for us. Help us to forget self and to follow you. And just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is amazing what God has done for us and how he opens the door of forgiveness to people who have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. If you have sinned, then you have if you understand what I'm talking about. And you desperately need his forgiveness. That comes because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And give his life a ransom for me. If you believe that, and are willing to build your life on that by repeating your sins to be baptized in Christ, we invite you to come as we stand. I couldn't let this opportunity pass also to say something else as well as about this song. Jesus Loves Me. I know we call it a, a children's song. My kids like it. Nina wanted this one also. Uh, but this is really important to sing even simple songs like this. And I hope that maybe if some simple song like this or some other simple kids song clicks in your brain this week. And I want to point out to this that we may be attributed to a children's song one because of the simple tune to it but well little ones to him belong well that's that's babies but in luke 18 verse 16 let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of god belongs to such as these are you acting like one of jesus's little ones are you trying to be big and powerful maybe what Tommy was describing with these tons of thunder, right? The opposite of that is someone who comes to Jesus as a little child, not seeking to be well known among men, but known before God.
And this last verse, 2 Corinthians 5, right? What did Jesus do for us? Take this heart of mine, make it pure and holy thine. You have bled and died for me. I will henceforth live for thee.